Gospel fluency, speaking the truth of Jesus into the everyday stuff of life. Do you like our Jesus up there? Uh, it's, it's fun. Uh, Jameson's great. Uh, every time you see Jameson from now on, say, Jesus, you're Jesus, you're Jesus, because it will keep him on the right track. Absolutely. You know, I, I said you realize, uh, you realize that in portraying Jesus in these videos, Every, every little kid is going to say, that's Jesus. Uh, he said, that's scary. I said, yeah, I know. Uh, it's my first, my first shot in this series. I'm, I'm just jazzed about it. I want to j- just kind of touch on, some, on a couple of things that, that Chris has mentioned in the last two weeks so well. This whole idea of fluency is a crazy thing. I'm, um, Chris is much more fluent in Spanish than I am. I had two years of, of Spanish in high school, but I've done 10 trips to uh, Central America. And on my trips to Central America... Trying to communicate in Spanish is this awkward process because when I hear someone speak Spanish, I have to convert what I hear into what it looks like visually, right? And then I have to think, okay, what are those vocabulary words that I learned lots and lots of years ago that helped me understand what they said? Then I try and put them in, in process, and then I try and think, okay, what, are, what am I supposed to say back? And so the communication process is typically driven when I'm talking to a native Spanish speaker with two words, mas despacio. Any Spanish speakers know what that means? Much slower, much slower. Speak much slower so that my brain can engage. My, I, I'm not any place close to fluent in Spanish. And, and so I struggle to communicate in Spanish. Some of, for some of us, that, that's, the, that's our story in terms of the gospel. We know a lot about the gospel, but we're still trying to figure out how all the pieces fit. I've, I've told the story, uh, I've mentioned this person before, but um, in the mid-1980s, Deb and I began to sponsor a child uh, uh, through Compassion International. Her, her name is, is uh, Laura, Nine, uh, Laura, Laura, Laura Nine Flores. And, um, and so we sponsored, from the, uh, sponsored her from the time she was about five until she graduated from high school when she was 18. Um, wrote letters back and forth. Uh, if you've got uh, Compassion Kids, man, write those letters. Write those letters. They mean the world to, to these kids. So uh, we wrote, she graduated out of the program, and that was the end. I hadn't heard, of, uh, hadn't heard from her. About uh, 15 years later, when she's in her early 30s, um, she sent me a message on Facebook and said, um, uh, Padrino, uh, sponsor, are, are you my sponsor, Rick Rubel? And I, and I wrote back and said, yeah. And it was the coolest thing ever. It's, it, uh, so we talk occasionally. Um, I follow her posts. She makes comments about her family. Uh, she wrote this week something about, oh, it's so cool to see your kids all grown up because I have pictures of them when they were four and six and eight. It's just a neat thing. Um, when I communicate with Laura, um, I typically read her message in Spanish, and I try and translate it because it's there in print, and I can, I can think through the process a little bit faster than if I have to hear it. Um, but then I always go to Google Translate, right? <laughs> the magic button. Well, the thing about Google Translate that's interesting is that it does a literal translation of the words that are there without any real kind of context. And so oftentimes... What Google Translate gives you is more confusing than what the original language says. Has anybody tried that before and you've got some kind of knowledge? It's like, I don't get this at all. Here's, here's the point of this. For some of us, 
our vocabulary about the gospel of Jesus is limited. We may know lots of vocabulary words. We may know lots of scripture. But we function like spiritual Google translators. We can match some pieces together, but we miss the greater context. And that's why this series is so important. When we talk about being gospel fluent, we're talking about the gospel being integrated into every part of our life, into the way that we think, the way that we talk, the things that we do. Let me, let me just show you something. Um, again, it, as far as introduction, we, uh, we started the message, the series. Chris said, I'm an unbeliever, and so are you. There are all parts of our relationship with God that we just don't believe him. Belief... Belief, I hope you guys over there can read that. Um, belief drives our values. It shapes our values. And our values determine our actions. That's our, that's our whole person, right? Our beliefs shape our values. And our values determine how we act. The problem is, for many of us who are trying to follow Jesus, we're trying to make the arrows go this way. We say, oh, I'm going to go to church and that's going to change my heart. Oh, I'm going to stop drinking or I'm going to curb my language. And we focus on the action, hoping that that will change our values, hoping that that will get to our heart. I'm an unbeliever, and so are you. We're desperate to attack this part of this in this series. It's all about what we believe because that determines what we value, and our values then shape how we act. Um, the, uh, being fluent comes from being immersed in the culture, and I want you to be immersed in the story of God this morning. Um, we've talked a lot about fluency. Today I want to talk about the gospel. And for many of you, you will, uh, you'll, you know this story. But I, w- I want to try and approach it from a perspective that helps you see how, how much God loves you. Uh, that l- last song is just so powerful. <laughs> He's jealous for us. He, he wants to have a relationship with us. Um, uh, I'll get there in a second. Um, the gospel... It's easy if you've been around church for a long time to think, okay, what's the gospel? Oh, the gospel is the good news about Jesus. Well, what's that mean? Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. Some, for some of us, we think, oh, the gospel means that I can lead someone to Christ, that I have a pattern memorized that I can go to when somebody has questions about Jesus, that, um, that I can lead them to a saving relationship with Jesus. For some, you hear gospel, and because of, of like where you grew up, uh, in the church that you grew up in, oh, we're going to read from the gospels today. We're, uh, we're going to have the gospel reading. And so you translate the gospel into the, one of the books of the biographies of Jesus, the, the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of John. What I want to do today is just help you understand that the gospel of Jesus, the, go- the gospel is really comprised, comprised of four pieces that are incredible expressions of God's love for us. If you've got your Bibles, turn to uh, Romans chapter 1, and I, I, I want to start at a verse and end at, in the same place. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 14. 
uh, Paul is writing to the church in Rome that he's getting ready to go visit. He says, I'm obligated to both Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel of righteousness, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. The message says this, and I love how they worded this. Verse 16, Paul says, This is news that I'm proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him. Let those words sink in. This extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him. The the gospel is God's plan to bring us back into relationship with him. To be gospel fluent, we've got to understand experientially what the gospel is. By that I mean it can't just be in our head. It's got to be in our heart. It's not enough to just know what scripture says. That scripture has got to permeate there in our lives. Our belief system. Because when it does, everything in our lives change. There are four components, I think, to the gospel, and, and, uh, and this is where I want to go today. The first component is this. It's creation. Uh, the essence of the gospel, uh, of the, uh, the, the essence of the, go- the gospel is the story of scripture, and it starts with creation. If you think back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the first three days, God made all kinds of stuff. He, he, he separated land from water. He, he created light and dark. He, um, he, he formed the earth. He did all, all this stuff and said, oh, this is good. This is, this is good. Um, he created plants and trees that would reproduce. Think about that. If you're creating, you're not just making something, but you're making something that can continue to reproduce and grow. Um, in, in day four, he made planets and stars, the sun and the moon. Day five, he made fish and birds that reproduced. In day six, he made animals and man and woman. And he made them in this incredible world. And, uh, and what did he say in Genesis 1, 31? God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Now, most of the time when we talk about that, uh, when we talk about Genesis 1, for me, I guess because I do a lot of weddings, I've always thought, oh, that's, uh, you know, God looks and sees man by himself and says it's not good. He makes woman, that completes everything, and he says it's very good. And for some reason, in my mind, I always connected the, the, the uh, creation of women with it being very good, right? Um, women, you can thank me for that, all right? I, I just always thought, that, oh, that's, that. women, that makes it very good. What's Genesis 1 say? When he looked at all that he had made, when God had created and fashioned this world to be in relationship with, with him, it was very good. Everything that God has made, he made for us to enjoy in relationship with him. 
part of what's so incredible about this is uh, uh, our older son has been on a trip through the Northwest, and he posted a video, I think, last week. He was somewhere in Washington. He was walking in a, in a national park, and he's seen all these mountains. He's seen the Pacific, all this stuff that he's got pictures of, and he has this video of, of this uh, little creature, uh, this little slug eating a leaf of a tree. You know, this tiny little thing just chomping away at this leaf. And I'm thinking, that is so incredible. God made the world in such a way that even in its most small, delicate forms, it reflected the, the unity and the oneness of him. It's easy when I think about creation, about the magnificence of creation, I think about being on top of a mountain you know, in Colorado, in the in Rockies, whatever, and looking out and just seeing that vastness. I think about, about looking at the Great Lakes or looking at the ocean and, and seeing a spectacular sunrise or sunset. But the glory of God's revealed in the little tiny stuff, too. When I, when I see video of an operation in, of stuff that's going on inside a human body, I think God made that. And he made all of that because of his tremendous love for us. Creation is an expression of God's nature, his beauty, his relationship, his purpose. You know, for me, um, if, if I make a meal for Deb, um, it's probably going to consist of an omelet, right? Um, and I'm going to, once, once the omelet's done, if, especially if I added peppers and onions, I'm going to say, that's good. If I, you know, if I made bagels and juice along, that's good. If, if I, a meal that I make, I say, oh, that's very good, it's probably going to be a steak that I grilled out and a baked potato. That, that's good, right? But a skilled chef, if he's creating, is going to do what? He's going to do this. He's going to create this massive meal, seven-course meal that has, that has his character poured into every piece of what he's created so that he can express his nature, his character in what he's made. The beauty of a perfect world in perfect alignment with God was God's plan. God didn't make creation just, oh, you know what, I'm kind of bored. I'm just going to create. So he made it so that he could express himself and so that we could be in relationship with him. Our beliefs shape our values, our values shape our actions. Do you believe that God created a good, perfect world? We don't always believe that. Sometimes we believe the world is just simply a mess because of the second piece of the, of the gospel, the second part of the story, and that's the fall. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, it describes what happens. Uh, if you want to go there, you can. I don't have it on screen, but let me, let me just give you the highlights. The serpent, Genesis 3 starts and says, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He says to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We, we can eat from any tree in the garden, but God did say don't eat from that one tree. Don't touch it. If so, you'll die. The serpent says, you will not certainly die. God knows that if you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like him. You'll know good and evil. The woman saw that the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. 
And she took it and she ate it. She gives it to Adam. Adam eats it. Both of their eyes are opened and they're separated from God. They realize that they're naked. Did God really say, is what the serpent says to Eve, did God really say that that was true? And Eve got thinking, ah, you know, I don't know. She engaged a conversation with Satan that took her down a bad path. And then he, he uh, you know, he put in levels of doubt. Uh, you know what? You're not really going to die. That's not really what's going to happen. But when she disobeyed, everything changed. And immediately, blame became assigned for the first time in all of creation. You know, it's at that point that... that um, that God talks to Adam, and Adam says, "What you, or God says, well, Adam, what did you do? And, and he said, well, we're hiding because we're naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? And Adam says, the woman, she gave me the fruit. And then God talks to the woman, and the woman says, the serpent gave me the fruit. The serpent convinced me. Blame is introduced for the first time. And, and, and the fall is experienced in this perfect creation that God had made. Romans 6 says, the payment for sin is death. God said, you know what? If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Not immediately, but there's going to be this brokenness that enters the world, that enters your life, that's going to end in your physical death. And that's true for all of us. Romans 3, Paul says, all have sinned, continually fall short of the glory of God. All of that, the fall, we are all products of, of the fall. Our brokenness is the universal plight of man. Sometimes bad stuff happens to it to us. How we respond matters a ton. Sometimes we create our own messes. We create our own brokenness and we live in the midst of that. We choose to make what happens to us our story. It's all about us. And in reality, it's God's story. There's creation, and then there's this fall. And so we live in this world that's full of junk. It's full of infertility. It's full of miscarriages. It's full of cancer. It's full of death. It's full of job loss. It's full of evictions from people's homes. It's full of divorce. It's full of jobs that stink, that suck the life out of people. It's full of Supreme Court nomination hearings. We live in a broken, broken world. You know, um, I don't know if you, if you like movies or not, but if you saw uh, Avengers, the, the, this last one, the best picture of the fall is what happens at the end of the movie. Thanos, Thanos has got all the power, and he destroys everything, right? The, the, the world falls apart. All the Avengers are dead and dying. Half of humanity dies. And you walk out of the movie thinking, boy, that was a waste, right? There's this overwhelming sense of hopelessness that comes from the fall. Here's the truth, the belief that's so critical for us. The wretchedness that Satan brought into a perfect world, and we willingly joined in was not part of God's plan. What do you believe about pain and suffering and trials and junk that exist in your life? Satan wants us to blame God. 
it was not part of God's plan. Do you understand that the brokenness that we live in was not part of God's plan? It was Satan's doing that did that. Now, we make our own mess. We make the choices because of the brokenness of the world that we live in. It's, that's not what God wanted. Our belief shapes our values. Our values shape our actions. What do you believe about the brokenness that you live in? Do you trust that God made this incredibly cool, beautiful, wholesome world and Satan ruined it? Or somehow, have you, have you accepted this concept that, you know what, it's God's fault that my grandma died. It's God's fault. God could have intervened and kept that car wreck from happening. What do you believe? What do you believe? The third part of the gospel, creation, fall, is redemption. You know, for redemption to happen, there has to be a hero. There has to be a sacrifice that comes and, and that takes place. And the, the hero has to sacrifice himself in some way, his time, his energy, his life, his relationships, in order for the fallen to be made right again. Paul says to the church in Rome, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were in the midst of the fall, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still in the fall, Christ died for us. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said this in the Amplified Version, God made Christ who knew no sin to judicially, to legally be sin on our behalf so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. That is, that we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. Jesus came to earth God in the flesh, so that we could be redeemed, so that the brokenness could be taken care of. He came, but he had to sacrifice himself. That's why he went to the cross and took our sin on himself so that we could experience that relationship with God being made right again. Um, I, I, we watch movies, we read books, and, and what kind of books and movies do most people like? They like the movies with a happy ending, right? Because there's all this tension that takes place, all this struggle that takes place between good and evil, between right and wrong, all that takes place, and you get to the end of the movie, and the hero wins, the, you know, the, the couple gets together, the dog comes home, it starts to snow, that's Hallmark, I know. Um, the, um, and everyone lives what? Happily ever after. That's the picture of redemption, right? When redemption happens, everything gets made right again. Everything that was upside down gets turned right side up. All of the pain gets resolved. Uh, the, the people with illness get well. Everything gets better when redemption takes place. Now, for us, 
in, the, in understanding the gospel, this piece is critical. It's critical to understand that we were separated from God because of our sin, because of the choices that we made. God is holy and perfect, and we couldn't be in his presence. But when Jesus came to earth, God in flesh, and lived like us, and took our sin on himself, he made a way that it could all be made right again. Everything could change. Everything could change. What do you believe about redemption? What do, you, do you believe that God really can change you from the inside out? Do you believe that God really does have the power to break your addiction? Does God really have the power to allow you in the midst of a horrible situation, a horrible job, a horrible marriage, a horrible illness, a horrible whatever, does God really have the ability to redeem you in the midst of that environment because of his love for you? Did Jesus really pay the price not to, not to remove all the circumstances but to change us in the midst of that, to take us out of that state of fallenness and to bring us back into the right relationship with him. Do you believe that? I, you know what? I'm, I'm an unbeliever, and so are you in some areas. The challenge today is to understand that the gospel means, if it's true that God created this beautiful, incredible world for us to be in relationship with him, and if it's true that Satan messed it up, and if it's true that Jesus came to earth, it can all be made right again. That's the, that's the core of the gospel. The last piece is the piece that I th- think that we fail at the most in, un- in terms of understanding the gospel. It's the piece that, w- that, I- that in, the stu- in this study we're going to call new creation. It's, the, it's what happens after redemption. It's this process of change that takes place in us as we're made into the image of Jesus, as we're made more like him. New creation. Um, Paul writes to the church in Romans, in Romans, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word that I want you to focus at in that is this concept of being transformed. A new creation comes as a result of redemption, but it's this process that God continually changes us. Chris talked last week about sanctification, and, and, um, and he talked about it in the, in the context of salvation. Salvation is redemption. That's the place where our, our, our nature changes, where, where Jesus, we say, yes, Jesus, I want you to redeem me. I want you to change me. And everything changes because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. This new creation piece, this transformation piece, 
this sanctification piece, if you will. Sanctification just, be, just means to be made holy. That's the stuff of our life, if we're followers of Jesus, that we've got to look at the belief piece and say, what is it that I really believe? Do I really believe that God has the ability to start this change in me that happens day by day, that he's using everything that happens in my life to draw me to him? Yeah, I'm saved, but he wants to transform me. Man, I, I, I love North Point. I, I just love being here. And I love it because we have so many people here who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, for a lifetime. And we've got people who are followers of Jesus that are just now starting to figure it out, that they're just kind of thinking, oh, if this is true, what's this mean? And we've got people who are, who are searching for Jesus, who are saying, you know what, I don't, I don't even have a clue. For all of us, once we experience redemption, this transformation process is what our life with Jesus is all about. It is not enough to stay at the end of the movie where, where everything has been reconciled and, and redeemed and everything's good. The happily ever after is great when the couple get together, you know, that, that they, the whole movie is made up of, oh, boy meets girl, are, are they going to get together? Or are they going to get together? They encounter obstacles, they come together, and they get married, and everybody lives happily ever after. You know what? Happily ever after in that way doesn't work, right? Because you wake up a week later and say, what did I do, right? Who is this person that I'm laying beside? That's not the person that I married a week ago, right? This transformation process is God working in us to make us holy on a daily basis. And the question is whether or not we believe that God wants to and has the ability to change us from the inside out. That's the gospel story. It's all about fall. It's all about creation, this beautiful world, this relationship that God wants to have with us, this brokenness that comes as a result of the fall, the redemption that comes in because of Jesus, and this transformation, this new creation piece. You know, the thing about transformation is that it's, it's messy and it's hard. It's not like redemption where... When we understand that Jesus died for us, our status changes. Our, uh, you know, we're, we're, we become followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. But the process of living out following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, being committed to the mission, that's, it's messy. It's a messy process. But there is nothing more beautiful than seeing this new creation process lived out in people than seeing the guy with the explosive temper becoming kind and compassionate because of the power of Jesus, than seeing a selfish, self-focused person become selfless because of Jesus, than seeing somebody who's stingy become generous, seeing somebody who's anxious experience peace, seeing somebody who's complacent all of a sudden be energized and engaged in their world around them because of Jesus. Then seeing someone who's biased, standing against injustice. Then seeing someone who, uh, who's so focused on their immediate struggle 
that they can't see anything bigger than that to all of a sudden seeing their struggle in light of eternity because of Jesus, because he's doing that transformation process in them. And seeing a person who had, who's addicted and seeing that addiction broken, um, seeing a person who's focused on things becoming focused on people. The gospel is about the transformation of our lives after redemption. The gospel is not just the story of Jesus coming to earth so that we could experience salvation. It's about this new creation piece, and that's what's so critical for us in this study. When we talk about being gospel fluent, it's not just that we have a relationship with Jesus. It's that Jesus is continually changing the way that we think and feel and act. It's that Jesus gets inside us. And so our lens changes completely. That's what it means to be gospel fluent. A radically transformed life, a transformed family, a transformed community, a transformed nation is the new creation, the recreation of God's plan. God's plan is not just that we would be saved. God's plan is that we would be made like Jesus here on earth, that we would walk in his kingdom here on earth. I I hope you get that today's message is for you wherever you are in the spectrum. It may be that you're here because somebody brought you. It it may be that you've been coming to church for a long time, but intellectually, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I need to go to church. That's there. And you've never really considered who Jesus is or God's your your relationship with God. It may be that you're in the process of, of trying to figure that out. It may be that you've come to church for a long time and you, and you buy it intellectually, but you've never allowed Jesus into the center of your heart, your, your belief system that impacts every part of your life. It may be that you've experienced redemption, but this whole new creation thing, that's a different kind of thought to think about what it looks like to be made holy on a daily basis to be made holy until the day that we die. You don't finish when you hit 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 100. That God is in the process of changing us continually. You were created, you were created for a relationship with God. His creation of you was awesome. I, I, I don't know in your world if you get a chance to see it or not. But man, when you see a newborn baby, it's, I don't even know what the word is. You just go, man, that's incredible. God created you. He formed you for a relationship with him. Somewhere along the way, you bought into the lies of Satan and you've experienced the fallenness, the brokenness, the fall part. And you've lived in the mess. You know what that means. Doesn't matter who you are, you understand that. We're at a place right now where the, for some of you the question is, are you going to say yes to Jesus and walk from that fallenness into the redemption phase of, of the gospel? 
whether or not you're going to say, yes, I want Jesus. I want my life to be different. And for many of you, you're at a place where, where I want you to wrestle with, God, do I really believe you about my circumstances? Do I really believe that what you want and have for me is better than what I want and have for me? That's, that's the core of it. We're, we're going to sing a song in a second. I'm going to pray first. And, and let me just say, if you want to talk or pray, particularly about the redemption piece, but also about the new creation piece, I'm going to go during the song back to the prayer room, which is the room in the back right-hand corner. And, and let me just invite you uh, to come back into that room during the song or after the song. I'll be there between services, and we'll talk and pray and help you take some steps on that way. The gospel, the gospel is the story of God's creation, our fallenness, Jesus' redemption, and the new creation that, that, he's cre- that, that, that work that he's doing in us. That's the gospel. That's what it means to be gospel fluent. Let me pray. Lord, um, we try so hard to do it all on our own. We try so hard to do it on our own and miss that you have made the way, that you sent Jesus to redeem us, to fix the brokenness. And God, even in our redemption, that that your way is better than ours. We miss that. We miss that... um, that you know more than we do and you know better. Help us to trust you, God. Help us to say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing.